The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Have you seen that two-headed llama pushing and a-pulling markets? Well, if you're fully long, the pain is real. Rates high, stocks low, and we're going to have a go at it with our guest today, Thomas Thornton from Hedge Fund Telemetry. All this and much more on episode number 780 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Big fat hello to September. Labor Day is here. Hopefully, you're enjoying some time away from these markets that have been absolutely disgusting. I mean, we're talking about six and a half, seven percent drop in the last five, six days or so of trading. That is absurd. The problem right now we're having is, of course, there's a lot of confusion. We're going to talk about that. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and I am the host of this uh, this podcast that we've been doing. Since 2007, I believe it was. And uh, we have a great time each and every week learning a little bit more about uh, the area of finance, the area of, of investing, and how, in fact, we can become better investors. And all along the way, hopefully having just a, a small amount of fun as we do it. Because if it's not fun, what's the point of all this? So thanks for uh, checking out, checking in. Make sure, by the way, to go over to Apple the podcast app or the site and make sure you're subscribed because we changed a few settings recently and I want to make sure everybody, or if you're Spotify or Amazon, wherever it is, um, and make sure that you check that out. There are a lot of great apps out there. I was checking out the Castro app just the other day because on DH Unplugged, we were having all sorts of problems with the RSS feed and there was a, a really good app that I thought would be able to give me some insights and it did. It has a great interface Kind of cool stuff. But whether you're on Apple uh, Podcast or Google Podcast or wherever you get it from, or if you go directly to the site, please make sure that you're getting this. And obviously, if you're not getting this, you're not going to hear this. So I'm not sure why I should even talk about this any longer. But if you are hearing this, make sure to subscribe. That's really important. Uh, or resubscribe. Or to make sure to subscribe, I guess it is right now. Okay, with that in mind, of course, everything that we talk about, the comments, uh, topics, the information about how to reach our guests, things like that, are always on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. And even more so, all of our strategies that we run for our clients, whether it is the Investology, which is a minimum of $10,000, which is our answer to, I guess, it's it's a really a solid answer to the, the robo-trading. You know, we are big fans of technology, so it's a advisor-crafted, technology-enhanced platform that provides for you to try it out, just to better understand what we're doing. On top of that, we also have our global allocations. We hold those over at Schwab. And uh, we also have the TDI Managed Growth Strategy, which we did a massive rebalance at the beginning of September. Uh, and it is really interesting what stocks are starting to shine through and what names in this environment 
are holding up in terms of their ability to to keep margins expanding and to keep their earnings growth trend positive in the face of all the things that we're seeing right now. And I wanted to talk to you before we get with our guest today about something that I was thinking about a lot, something that I have been really tossing around as I watched all of the latest the latest happenings with regard to the stimulus measures out of the White House and the Biden administration and the the show that the Fed puts on on a regular basis. And I, and I really have been very troubled about what's happening with regard to policy because policy right now seems to be a big problem. And what is happening is that we have these these powers that are working together. A lot of different parties, and honestly, not only political parties, but a lot of different interests, let's put it that way, that are working together at the same time and at that same time are totally fighting each other. It's the push me, pull you. You know that two-headed llama that was on Dr. Doolittle, one of my favorite shows or movies and books as a kid. And it seems that this two-headed llama is the U.S. Federal Reserve pulling liquidity from the markets and the Biden administration pushing more money into the system through, I I would say, pretty much just about blank check stimulus measures still going on in the hundreds of billions of dollars. And this is seriously problematic because stimulus in any form by its very nature, is inflationary. Higher prices are going to force the Fed to continue hiking rates until these prices stabilize. Doesn't that make sense? However, the more money that's pushed into the economy will also undoubtedly create demand, and that is completely antithetical to the Fed's mission. So unfortunately, here we are, where we have these opposing programs that are not going to avoid, they're not going to, they're not going to cancel each other out. They're not going to avoid each other. You would think that, okay, well, on one hand, we have stimulus, on the other hand, we have tightening. No, they're not. No, no, no. On the contrary, they may actually supercharge the potential for, dare I say, a period of stagflation. And with that in mind, what we're doing is we're positioning our clients' portfolios and tilting them primarily in the uh, investology and global allocation area towards the defensive side as market volatility remains or maybe even expands because there are so many hurdles that need to be be totally uh, cleared during the next few months And we need to resolve these in a positive manner before we can think about a a higher level of risk to be added to portfolios. Think about that for a second, all the things that are happening and this dreaded two-headed llama that's going on. So for now, it's better to have a bit of a wait-and-see posture, maybe nibbling on a few different areas and maybe cleaning up, rebalancing, working the portfolio ever so slightly until this situation can resolve. Now, if I was to say this another way, maybe when the grown-ups 
come back from their summer vacations, maybe we'll see some fiscal restraint and responsibility reestablished. Honestly, I'm not holding my breath for that out of you. <laughs> that was a <laughs> sounded good, didn't it? That's kind of a pipe dream. Like maybe, oh, maybe we'll have fiscal responsibility. You know, the party of restraint will somehow be able to do something. And, 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 and they didn't during their tenure, by the way. And they can't do anything now because, of course, of the majority positioning in the Congress. So here's the rub. In the world of investing, it's, it's all about confidence and clarity. These are, these are really the bedrocks for a positive market backdrop, for the ability for us to say, hey, you know what? This market has legs, it has support, it has good wide bands of, um, of just, of, of, just a, of, a, of, of, of investor confidence in it. The problem is now that the backdrop is eroding as these policy errors continue to pile up with no palpable change in the rhetoric. That's the other problem. We keep talking from the administration side, from the government side, about how we're going to continue on just pushing more money in. And regardless of the fact that it's inflationary, who cares? And the Fed with their, hey, we're not stopping raising rates until we just, you know, tear this thing down. But the problem is we're butting heads. We have this llama that's going in two different directions. Something has to give right now, and we have to have the heads pointing in the same direction coordinating policy, allowing for confidence to be restored because really it's getting frayed at all edges. And that's why we're seeing such an extreme move in markets right now. That's why we're seeing that even with a little bit of good news, it, it's not holding. And, and even the bad news that was good news is no longer holding. So all of this piles up into a situation where we have lower confidence on the, on the markets themselves and sentiment shifts in such a manner that everybody's like, well, do you know what? What's the point? 180 degrees from where we were a year and change ago, right? Where everybody said, eh, it's just going up forever. Or where we were just a month and a half ago with, okay, maybe, maybe Powell's going to slow down the roll. So that's, What's happening right now, that's where we are. With that in mind, I think it's time. I think it's our time. Let's get to our guest right now and see what he has to say. And our guest today is Thomas Thornton. He's the president of Hedge Fund Telemetry. And he's a former portfolio manager, senior trader, technical analyst. He's done all sorts of things. He writes a, a daily market note for a select group of people uh, for a long time in the hedge fund industry, but then expanded it out and now offers it for all investors. We'll talk to Tom about how actually you can get your, uh, your your subscription, your copy, your your trial, all that. So we've had him on before, so I thought I'd bring him back. Mr. Thornton, how are you from Greenwich, Connecticut? <laughs> I'm great. Uh, it's been quite uh, quite the market, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. Um, it's uh, not easy. And um, as I was on last time, I said it's going to be a tactical market of basically a lot of chop. You're going to get lower high bounces and lower lows. And we've exactly have seen that. Now we're moving into another period where I think that um, you're going to start to see earnings guidance come down. And today we had one from Seagate Technology, hard drive maker. They are 
involved in a lot with a lot of semiconductors and we've seen semiconductor companies guide down. So I think this is going to be the pattern to watch. Pretty fascinating um, uh, market though. I got to tell you some of the things that I've noticed, and I want to talk a little bit and back it up in a second about um, some of the ways that you do research, how you got into the industry, some areas. I, I kind of want to, I want to explore, I'm prepping you here. I want to just explore how you pick yourself up after disappointment. Cause it's, you know, there's things that happen in the markets, right? Um, and not always does the, 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 the commitment that you make play out the way it should, or that you would expect it to. So, but let's just, just for a moment, um, you know, one of the things that I'm finding, and I've talked about this a few times and touched on it, and I haven't really totally flushed it out. I have this, I don't know if it's just some jaded opinion. The market seems really amateurish these days. Am I, is this something I'm just being silly about? Okay, uh, let me handle a couple of those uh, right now. So my view on that is, yes, the market is a little bit um, amateurish. Uh, you have a lot of, you have a lot of new people that, that have gotten into the markets in the last couple of years. And a lot of those people will chase whatever's green that day. And then when that ends, they'll move on to something new. So there's really not a lot of fundamental or even, you know, very disciplined technical analysis that's been happening. So it's, um, it's a tough market where you had a lot of people, like I said, that came in over the last couple of years and there's huge volumes that came in. Um, and those people have not necessarily sold their stuff from the flows that I watch. So it's a, um, it's a market in progress that I think is, um, that, that could get a little bit more dicey. I hate to say that I'd like to be bullish, but, um, Honestly, it's um, it's just something I've watched over the years. I've seen this play out. It's that it's that it's that perpetual cycle that everybody always thinks is broken. That's not broken, right? That that is a perpetual cycle of from peak to trough, whether it's economic or it's market, and the emotions that go along with it from from exuberance to despair, and somewhere in between all that to the I don't believe it to oh my god I can't believe it right to to oh, this is just temporary to, oh my God, this is going to be forever. To, yeah, ah, wow, point. this is good. And ah, it's never going to go get worse. It's, ne it's never going to, it's never going to get, it's only going to get better, right? That whole junction of emotional mix that happens. Yeah, that is a, that is a very, very good point because, you know, the stages of what, you see in markets that go up and down are very similar. And I like to, you know, talk about Elliott wave and Elliott wave. I, don't hang up. Yeah. Don't stop. They have personalities. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, they have personalities within each wave. And if you can identify those, what's happening, uh, they, it actually makes a lot of sense. And the best way for people to look at it is just to go to Wikipedia type in Elliott wave and look at it and you'll basically understand what's happening. So for the first wave down, everybody thought it was just a great buy the dip opportunity. We broke that next level. We, we bounced lower high wave two that failed, went back down to wave three and people started getting more bearish. And we just had a little bit of a bounce just recently that's wave four. And now we could be possibly uh, if we break the recent lows in wave five, where people really acknowledge that things are bad, 
And that's when you start to see the heavy selling. And that's, that's what I'm watching right now. That's the personality. I'm, I am a big fan of looking at market sentiment uh, and what's happening and what people are saying and, and ultimately what they're doing. What's interesting is there are those that the reason why, if we're joking around, by the way, if anybody that never heard of Elliott Wave, and Elliott Wave is not a person, by the way, it's not Elliot, Mr. Elliott Wave. It's a, uh, a concept and it is a, there's um, of a charting concept of the, um, the, the, the cycles that, that, that markets or stocks or whatever it is that goes through. And they can be intermediate ways. It's like ABCs and small ones and all that. But there are those out there that are, let's just say, Elliott Wave um, lovers, bugs. Uh, you know, if you think gold bugs and, and Bitcoin maximalists are something, Elliott Wave maximalists are something as well, right? Yeah, and I'm not that at all because one thing, um, they get hung up on all the Fibonacci technical stuff. I'm really more interested in looking at what wave we're in and what the personality of what people are doing and what, what's happening um, technically, um, not necessarily the, the pure levels that you have to hit. That That's where people get lost. Right. Let me let me uh, wind this backwards because I want to ask a few things because I want I, I want – from what you've done, from the research that you do, because you're, you're pumping out research on a daily basis, utilizing it also in, in, in your own portfolio process or in, in pushing out ideas. But let, I want to I want to reel this backwards and ask you about um, how how did you get started? I mean, what what caught your fire when it came to, hey, I like this investing and in this market and research and all that. What What was it? And, you know, can you identify that? Well, it goes back really far. My grandfather was a money manager and was um, he, he traded metals uh, in Chicago and then um, ended up owning silver mines and all sorts of stuff. Mm, and uh, yeah. I would just sort of pick up on some of the things that he was doing. And I, I like math and I like trying to discover how a puzzle fits. So I look at all different types of markets and how they against each other. And so I got into the business um, in the early 90s. Um, the only thing I could do back then is I, I was a, uh, a broker for, um, I started with uh, Shearson Lehman, and then it was bought out by Smith Barney. Mm -hmm. and I worked within a larger group uh, of, of people, of trader or uh, stockbrokers and people, and I was sort of a trader for them. And then I uh, moved on and uh, Later uh, in 2000, I used to cover hedge funds as a broker, and then I was asked to uh, be the head trader for a hedge fund, and I've, I did that, and then um, I launched my own fund, and then I was drafted to work for a much larger firm, which at our end, we were at $5 billion. So along the way, and this, I think, is the really important thing, I, I picked up a lot of different things that created a process. And I always tell people, I am not your process. There's nobody out there that is your sole process. You have to get a lot of things and figure out what works for you, what appeals, uh, how you can combine these things. And it's because people have different risk tolerances, timeframes, uh, goals of what they want to do with their money. And so that's just been what I've created. And I try to explain that on hedge fund telemetry every day. 
and through my trade ideas um, as well. Yep. So, I'm having a good year, by the way. No, I, I saw I, that. That was really. I good. said that. Yeah. I said that on a on a another uh, podcast um, in July, and then I like had a ten percent drawdown. <laughs> yeah, so, shh. I mean, I, I'm. It's it's currently you know in the high thirty percent level for the year. So it's been it's been a great year. Um, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting because um, you know, obviously, if you can have a select group, if, if you start from scratch, right, zero on the line, zero, right, and then you can build and then almost react very. Uh, most people can't do this. Most mo most money managers can't do this. Most money management strategies are not designed to do this. Let's let's be honest, right? They're just not. You just can't do that. But when you can have a clean uh, slate and then build and then unravel and then go a different mm -hmm. direction and maybe hedge and then build again. You follow what I'm talking about? And then and then commit to going back to the square one zero line again, which is you know, hey, I have 20 shorts and three longs, or now I only have three shorts and two longs. Now I have kind of one long, one short. You follow what I mean? That most, exactly. mo most, most strategies. I mean, we can't do that. I mean, I, we could do that with our, um, we do, we do that. We went flat. Actually, I was net short last, last couple of weeks uh, on the NASDAQ and then went flat just recently uh, again and, and built a bigger cash position, but still have a core equity exposure out there. Right. Which is a very heavy, uh, or I shouldn't say heavy. It's, it's, it's um, has a lot more energy related to it, which has been knock wood, a good thing, but you live by the sword, you die by the sword too. Right. So all of a sudden energy rolls over a bit and, you know, things are looking like, Hey, markets are not doing anything. And you're like, Oh, that, what's that? You know, it's like, a, that's not so special looking, but anyway, um, that's just one of our strategies. What, what when you, when you do the research process and you learned or, or you developed your process, that's what I want to ask. You developed your process. There's a lot of things that you encountered and had the opportunity to latch onto, right? So just as a, in the big world, there's, you know, basic fundamental analysis and is buy and hold this trading, there's hedging, there's options, there's uh, utilizing different tools. There's also uh, different ways of understanding investments. There's cap, uh, there, there's, um, uh, you know, dividend discount models. Um, there's capital markets theory, there's all these different things that you can, that we learn over the time that we're learning or always learning, but over the time, what did you learn and throw out? Hmm. That's a good one. I haven't really thought about what I've thrown out. Um, but that's probably something, um, I should consider. Um, I, I actually, um, I, I have a bit of a fundamental background, um, partly because I, I took level one of uh, CFA I got through that and I never went back for two. And yeah. That's three. like my wisdom um, teeth. I had two pulled out. I'm like, no, thanks. That's enough. <laughs> yeah. It, it, <laughs> it was still I, in my mouth. <laughs> I, I was, I was just way too busy. I got drafted to work for a hedge fund. I had a, you know, a new daughter. I, I was building a house. I mean, everything was happening. I had no time to, uh, to go back, but I, I really, was interested in technical analysis. And I learned a lot from people like Alan Shaw and Louise Yamada, who are, you know, sort of legendary technical people. Is Alan still and around? I mean, you, Louise is still doing her thing, right? Although she may be retired. I think so. I'm not We've sure. had Linda Rasky on. We've had some mm -hmm. of the great, the great uh, ones on the show in the past. So I, I, I've learned a lot of different things uh, from different technicians and, being working for a hedge fund, I was able to have access to a lot of different people. And I learned a lot from uh, Tom DeMarc, uh, who I am a big follower 
follower of his indicators. And I, I find those to work exceptionally well. I also know when they don't work, which is important. I've spent a lot of time on that, the DeMarc indicators. So just let everybody know, DeMarc indicators are not, um, they're they a different breed of technical indicators on a chart. Would you agree with that comment? Yeah, it, it really is uh, just that. Um, the crazy thing is Tom DeMarc developed these indicators, uh, some of them. He has about 100 now. But the main ones he developed by pa on paper in I the know. 70s, pre-computer, and then put it to computer and it seemed to work. And I use them on different time frames, different markets. And I like when I see different time. One thing also is really important for people. I look for different time frames to sync up. And so it's not like I'm looking at just one exact time frame every, you know, I look, I look at multiple time frame minutes. confirmations. Yeah. Yeah. I look for 15 minute charts intraday. I look at 60 minute charts for tactical trading and then daily and weekly, but less so, um, you know, for the, the dailies are if just something's pounding down. I I'll, I'll defer and look then towards a, uh, a weekly, but um, as far as things I, I've really picked up, I, again, I like Elliott wave. I, I explained how I, I use that. And, and DeMarc, I used DeMarc, yeah, by, the I, way, I, by the way, just to let you know, I mean, at least from what my, my, I've studied both. Those are very close in concept in terms of a sequence, right? You know, where, and that's also trend following, by the way. DeMarc has a nine, a 13, a countdown sequence. He's all these different ways of looking at it. But the, the 13 um, and the nine, there's, there's, a, there's a numerology, if you will, involved in DeMarc. But it's also a confirmation over time of a trend which is the same thing in a way of uh, not the same thing, but it has similarities to an Elliott wave where you have a sequence of, of, of a movement over time that will eventually exhaust itself, right? Move the other way and then possibly continue on um, at a later point when reality strikes. You're um, absolutely right. I, you said it perfectly. Um, I should have you on when I'm trying to explain it to people, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, the thing is, it's a very, they're, they're complex uh, indicators. And I try to, on my notes, make it simple as possible. I try to explain to people how things are going to react, what to expect uh, when they're right, when the, they're wrong. Sometimes I will say, don't use this. This is not a good signal. I think it's going to continue or something like that. These are exhaustion signals. And you know, the problem is a lot of people will look at a chart and say, oh, my God, it's breaking out to the upside. But I have an exhaustion signal there and I'm willing to sell into that or even mm. better on the downside. It's caught the bottom so well this year, uh, all the little short uh, uh, bounces had buy countdown 13s on the lows. And so that was you know, really fortunate. One other thing I look at and I think is really important is market sentiment. And I use, uh, I well, again, I was able to have deep conversations with all the market sentiment people when I was at my hedge fund. And I learned what works, what I don't like. There's a couple of them that I, sentiment polls I don't really like. I'll tell you one that's really pretty easy is uh, the CNN fear and greed. I, I like that one a lot. I think it is it's great because it's what traders are doing, not necessarily what they're saying, because sometimes they lie or they don't want to say, oh, I'm bearish or I'm bullish. You know, they they talk their book sometimes. But I use um, 
Daily Sentiment Index, which is a, a, a data from a guy named Jake Bernstein, and I've put them into charts on my site. So you can see between zero and 100 when, when it's really bad, let's just say going back to March 24th, 2020, uh, the bulls on the S&P were at 4% bulls, and that's real low. There weren't a lot of bulls out there. And it's not necessarily sentiment can be used as a trigger because it's more of a condition. Um, we also had DeMarc buy signals then too. So I went against the grain and went long that period. I will be honest, I got out a little too early. I didn't well, that's expect. the problem with those periods, yeah. isn't it? That's always the problem. With those yeah. I, have, I have something we developed called the KRI indicator. So, um, and I got to also, you have Bloomberg. I uh, Our new um, distribution package for trigger charts is now available, which I designed, all the algorithms we designed with um, uh, over the years. And uh, now it's available on Bloomberg. Just, just it's that's actually... Uh, uh, next week, it's going to be fully available, but I think we may be able to authenticate you for some of these, which is pretty cool. They're market profile based. So if you know anything about market profile, but also yeah. I, have, I have a KRI, which um, gives us a reading of a plus seven to a minus seven. Don't ask me why we went to the sevens, but that's what it was. It was enough. It was the right one. And um, mm -hmm. only a few times have we had a, a negative seven. You ever get a negative six consistent, and I get these little cluster formations that happen. You you do the old back up the truck concept because I have never seen it get to those points that it wasn't at reason at least a, a near term bounce that was healthy, right? The upside yeah. the the the. You probably recognize this too, but you know, most investors just buy. They don't short. They don't get out. Things are bad. They buy more or they hold. That's most investors, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And and that, you know, in many respects, if you if you had bought Apple and rode through some fifty percent drawdowns over the years, uh, you'd be as rich as Forrest Gump, right? But yeah. that yeah. that to me. I can't afford to have something go down 50%. And if I believe something's going to go down, I can also short it. So I, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I go both ways long and short and working for a long short portfolio. Uh, it's sort of a manic depressive thing because yeah, one day all your longs are going up and your shorts are, you know, going against you and you're right. like, oh. yep. um, but it's sometimes nice when they work, together. And so that's, that's a great segue. And I know we're, we're limited on time. I just want to talk about two other things here, I think. Uh, but um, you recently wrote an article that you actually opened up for the public. It was called Trapped. And you mentioned this comment that markets are imperfect. And even if you have the right idea, it can go against you, even when you are correct on the thesis. So my question to you is, how do you deal with and write yourself, write yourself? Okay, that's important. Yeah. Uh, when you have a disappointing moment that is just not working? Well, uh, that happens. And I've been in the markets long enough to know that things are imperfect and I can be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'll jump on the sword and get out. And one thing I stress to people is, and this is just my, how I position myself, I, I size my positions um, no larger than 5% okay. um, based off my assets. And there are times where I'm, I'll be in a 2% position and it goes against me. If it goes against me by 10%, it, 
it's not going to change my month. It's not going to change anything. Right. Uh, and by sizing a bit lower, under 5%, uh, it, it also keeps me from hitting the anxious button, which I, I will be honest, I I remember it was always the thing, oh, don't, you know, don't let emotion get involved in your trading. And I, I'm, I can be emotional. I don't like losing money or, and when I get, when I do make money, I, I sometimes have to check myself. Um, but I use my emotions um, in, in, a, in a good way. But Tom, emotion, yeah, point, so, I, wrote, I wrote in one of my books that I wrote, I started a, 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 a chapter with um, emotions have no, I don't know the exact quote, but emotions have no use when it comes to the investing process. But, but, I have later thought that at the same time, emotions can actually be a alert system. For example, if you had no feeling in your hand and you put your hand on the stove, you're going to get burned and it's going to continue to burn really bad when it's just down to, to knuckle. Okay. The whole point of sensation is for not only for feeling things into doing things, but that is helpful in those situations where harm may come to you. So the emotional response that, hey, you know what? Not panic because I'm down 22 cents on a, on a trade, okay? But that that emotion, I think there is something about an early warning system. The difference is controlling the emotion. Thoughts on that? Well, you don't want to, in any type of environment, you don't want to be over the top emotional. I think it's, um, in, in for me, I mean, think about a baseball player. Baseball player gets up to bat, and if he gets three hits in every ten at bats, um, he's you know one of the best batters in the league, and he's got to strike out or fly out or ground out um, or walk basically uh, seven times. So it's um, you learn how to be how to lose, and you just go back to the dugout, and you know that you're going to get another shot, and you know, so that's kind of how I see things. Um, I try to keep my winning percentage a little higher. Uh, but the the point is, I know I'm going to be wrong. I know there's times where I'm wrong. Uh, I go back. I do more research. I do and I look for, you know, where, what I might have missed and reexamine things. And then sometimes I'll, I'll again, I'll cut, cut some things. Um, you know, one thing I always tell people, because I, I get a lot of people, hey, Tom, should I, I've got this long position that I, I've got a, well, let's just say 20% gain. And, and what should I do? Anybody that ever has that feeling when I get it, I just, I'll cut half. I'll take profits on half. If it keeps going up, I was half right. If it goes down, I was, I was, or if it goes up, I'm half wrong. And if it goes down, I'm half right. And at least I book some profits. Yeah, booking I'm profits. a big fan of booking profits. Yeah, nobody um, nobody went bankrupt booking profits, they say, right? Um, I'm just trying to yeah. usher us along here because there's only a couple more minutes left. You, uh, Any thoughts on Jackson Hole and Powell? Because again, when I talked about it at the, at the top of this, this amateurish market, I feel like we have an amateurish Fed. Now, I know that may sound ridiculous because they are well-seasoned, many of them, but this dance that they're doing, the Fed parade, this communication strategy, this transparency bullshit that they're trying to make us all believe when in fact they are digging themselves out of a hole and trying to make it and, and thread a needle that is almost unthreadable. Um, 
What's your thought? I mean, I, I just, I just, uh, just that if that if we were in court, there would be an objection that I led the witness there. But what, what's your thoughts on this Federal Reserve? And, you know, are markets reacting appropriately both on the fixed income side and on the equity side? Well, I think the markets, well, look, I, I think the Fed talks too much. Yeah. And if yeah. you remember back, Greenspan, he would talk and you didn't have any idea what he said. I loved he him. Love that man. Go through it and you're like, wait, what? And look, I think Powell had a mission and he's got a mission to control inflation. And with the stock market going up uh, and people thinking that falsely that uh, they're on some verge of pivoting or slowing or even you know, cutting rates next year, uh, they were delusional. So I think that Powell basically gave the market uh, a very stern, stern uh, warning that he, they're going to keep raising rates. Uh, there's going to be pain with unemployment rising. Um, it's, it, it's what you got to do to tighten financial conditions. You can't tighten financial conditions. Uh, and that means um, lowering wages, perhaps, or, you know, with higher um, um, unemployment with the stock market at these levels. So he's going to keep keep going and QT starts um, in September. It's going to double. And I think that's going to start to um, to make a mark. And so I, I think the Fed has made some dumb um, statements. I think Powell really um, tried to be credible in July, but he made the comment uh, that nearing a neutral rate. And that's, that was just misinterpreted, I think. And the other thing, I'll say this, maybe he did mean to say that. Mm. And maybe he meant to say that so the market would go up and he could continue to raise rates because if the market went to 3000, he'd probably have more pressure on him to cut rates or do something stimulative. And so it gives him a lot of, it gives the Fed a lot of cover to keep going. You got, so but I if, that's that the, is, if that's the case, you got to, you got to then, you got to back up and, and, and say, wow, if that's this play, this short term and short sightedness of manip- seriously manipulating markets around commentary so they could do their dirty work in the background, you got to, you got to, you got to think that there's going to be mistrust of, of, of this whole dynamic. Well, you, you go back and you look at some of the comments about, Paul Volcker, the people hated him. The, the politicians hated him. They were so pissed because he, what he was doing. And you go, you look at it now in hindsight, and it was the exact right thing to do. And it, it was a lot of pain, but there was a huge political uh, backlash at him. And I think we'll probably get that from with Powell uh, coming soon. And that will be, you know, look, you already have it with Elizabeth Warren saying, you know, having unemployment go up is the wrong thing. But, you know, they've got a they've got an inflation problem. Yeah. And that's yeah. their mandate. Yeah. And I believe, you know, again, I think they're going to keep going and ignore the markets. Which is what the they same. should do. That is the whole point of what they should do. The problem I have is where the inflation is emanating from and the ability for the Fed to actually do something um, that will be meaningful in the way that they, it, meaningful to the inflation rate that is 
um, not totally destructive because some of the things that are causing inflation are not aligned. Listen, we talked about this. You can't change the price of chicken because with, with higher rates due to the fact that chickens are being killed because of bird flu. There's nothing to do, you know, there's nothing you could do with that. Um, you know, the, the, the problem they also have is they're, they're killing profitability. It's a different whole dynamic with raising rates because the dollar is screaming higher and they're breaking the rest of the world and companies that are heavily involved in multinational trade. So there's just a lot of things that, that, that is, is almost too far, too fast. And I do understand housing prices a year ago were too high. I do understand that the, the cost of, of, of cars and, and the basic elements of life are too high. We've seen a 32 to 33% drop in gasoline futures since the high in June. So we are seeing some relief that people have and, and, and you know, housing prices coming down. But more so with this that we just I just mentioned is how is your thoughts on the earnings outlook and the potential for an earnings recession? And we'll finish on this item. Okay. Uh, I look. I, I think we we are going to have an earnings recession. That was I, something I I wrote about yesterday, and we we need to see it. It's not you can't have earnings growth go up and up and up forever. And if you have inflation, it's going to hit the margins. It's you're going to have, you know, inflation is not just one thing. It's wage inflation. It's, it's uh, material inflation. It's it's land inflation. It's uh, it, everything costs more, and it's hard to pass that on to the customer, especially if um, things are getting tighter in the entire world. It's just it's impossible um, to not have that type of earnings uh, recession. And I think I think it's um, it's it's weird because we haven't had we've had this really bad market pullback. But we really haven't had earnings drop, and that was something uh, we've been watching and saying it's this is not something that typically happens. You usually, see uh, earnings uh, earnings go down when you have a twenty percent pullback in the equity markets, mm-hmm. but they haven't really. And you know, maybe you know, better than feared uh, was the mantra this last earnings season, yep. and. I don't want to necessarily own better than feared because it could get worse than expected next quarter. And that is yeah, worse, worse than feared is even worse though. Yeah. I mean, I I wrote about it and said, you know, (laughs) I I wrote about it and I was joking. I said, you know, you went on a blind date and you said your, your, your date was, you know, she's better than I feared, you know, and why would you go out again? You know, that's just not, what you want. And right, I, right, I right. think that um, that was very similar that what happened in 2000 and 2Q, uh, we had a really nasty market and then earnings came out. They were better than feared. The markets lifted into August and then September, yeah, there were some value. really nasty guide downs. I mean, Apple, if you go to look at Apple, uh, the stock went down 75% in Q3 and uh, Q4. I mean, you go back and you're like, well, Tom, it was 90 cents was split adjusted, right? And it went down to 20 cents or 25 cents. It's something horrendous. Well, yeah, you don't tell me I would have bought more. Yeah, yeah obviously. Right. <laughs> but it's it's what, you know, the other thing is 
you only have the information that you have right now today. So if you make a decision based on what's happening today, own it. And if you're wrong, go back and figure out why you were wrong. But I think that's, that's a little snippet of yeah. uh, knowledge that I like Good to stuff. throw in there. Tom Thornton, president of Hedge Fund Telemetry. Tell them, uh, my audience, everybody that's listening, where they can find out more information about you. Okay. Uh, Hedge Fund Telemetry is the name of my company. Uh, telemetry is spelled T-E-L-E-M-E-T-R-Y. And you can subscribe. Uh, we have a retail subscription as well as institutional subscribers. And I try my best to educate, entertain, and help people make money. And that you do. So much uh, so that we'll have you again on uh, on soon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate it, buddy. All right. Thank you. There you go. Well, let's go wrap it up. We are going into uh, September here. We are now past the summer, past the point where you can wear white pants and white shoes, so they say. Although I think that all those design myths are a thing of the past. Nonetheless, I'm not wearing my white shoes. I don't have any. Besides sneakers. I don't have any white pants. One pair. I always think white looks terrible on people anyway. It's just not flattering, especially with a little bit of extra weight. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. And here we go into the latter part of the year, starting off of September. I know it's here already. It's amazing. But it is a good time to reassess in a time period where seasonally, it's not the best for markets. But going into the end of the year, towards the end of, we'll say mid-October, interesting time, especially if we have some of these sell-offs that go on that are happening Maybe it will set up for a really interesting opportunity to get value for the long haul. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz again. Thanks for joining me this week and every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. See you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.